Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Today on the program, we feature Tia Carroll. She is a singer from Richmond, California, most well-known for her work in blues, R&B, and soul. She has won multiple awards, including West Coast Blues Hall of Fame Female Blues Vocalist, Just Blues Music Foundation's Traditional Blues Woman of the Year, Band Leader of the Year, and R&B Vocalist of the Year. She has toured the world, including Switzerland, Italy, Thailand, Estonia, and Brazil. Sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Life Radio. This entitled, The Bluesiest Woman, Tia Carroll. Feel real good from my head to my feet. Got a man in my arm and another I'm gonna meet. Head downtown for get my feel. Some fine, fine whiskey and a late night meal. Got my best dress on. I'm showing a little skin All eyes on me and I know I'm gonna win I don't know about you, but I don't see nothing wrong Out here, I think they call it Animal, it's alright Yeah, yeah, it's alright mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but out here they call it Welcome, Tia Carroll, to Music Life Radio. I'm glad to have you on the program today. Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate you having me over. All right. It's excellent to have another Californian come by. So you grew up in Richmond, California. Is that correct? Yes, sir. What Rochester was... Village. Oh, nice. <laughs> what was it like growing up in Richmond when you were a child? What kinds of music were you being influenced by, listening to? You know, What did your family listen to when you were growing up? Well, as far as I would say listening age, which I would say like maybe around five or six, I would consider myself a child of the early 60s. So in our part of town, we had maybe two radio stations to listen to. There is KDIA and KFRC. KDIA played all the soul and blues, and KFRC played all the rock and pop. Okay. So I listened to both of those stations. And I got a good grasp of, of both types of music. And just naturally, you know, I don't even know where this came from, really. I, I've been told that <clears throat> my father sang a little bit, but I never heard him sing. Okay. Um, but I, I would sing everything on the radio. So I'm singing Rolling Stone stuff and Al Green and Steely Dan and James Brown and... So it was like a little of this, a little of that. It was a balancing act that all got into my head. So I would say, I I just, I listened to everything on the radio. I sang along with everything on the radio and on TV. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All of those theme songs for the the TV shows back in the day, Green Acres. And, uh, you know, if if, if it had a song and it had some lyrics to it, I was right there singing it too. So you were just attracted to singing, really, at the earliest age yes. that you can remember. Yes. All right. Yes. And you, you said your dad was singing. Do you know if it was just, he like, he sang like you did? 
to uh, the radio and stuff, or was he involved in some kind of uh, He was involved group? in some kind of, no, I don't know if he was ever in a group, Okay, but and I've never heard him sing. However, yeah. he did used to write uh, kind of poems and, okay. and kind of write, not write music, but maybe in his mind he had what kind of melody he wanted for it. And uh, this is a few years ago, uh, my mother came across some paperwork that he had a couple of songs that he wrote. Uh, I think one was called Traveling Blues, and I can't right now remember the other one. But what struck me was that uh, it was in a, a envelope that came from New York, some copyright uh, and oh, wow. lawyer place in New York from 1932 or something like <laughs> that. And I'm looking at the at the paper. I'm looking at the the sheet music. I don't read music. Uh, yeah, I took a couple classes, but it just didn't stick. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know. So uh, I'm looking at the sheet music, and I, I'm looking at it, and I see a signature at the top, like um, you know, a, a thanks type of signature. And I was like, huh. And I'm looking at it closer, and it says, uh, "Thanks so much, Ollie." My father's name was Ollie. Lena Horn. Oh wow. <laughs> oh, okay. And so I. Uh, uh, Maybe about a year later, I, I didn't even think about asking my mother. I was like, hey, you know, one of those pieces of paper you gave me, the, the sheet music from Dad, had Lena Horne's name on it. Now, is that the real Lena Horne? She's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. He used to work for her. I was like, what? <laughs> how, could you not, how, could, how could I not know this? You know, my father had long ago passed away. So, yeah. I mean, he didn't get a chance to tell me. And I'm uh -huh. like, how could I not know this? Wow. <laughs> yeah, back in, in, I guess, in the 30s or whatever, he used to work for, for Lena Horne when she was would come to San Francisco. Doing what? I don't know, driving wow. or yeah. assisting or whatever. But I thought well, that was pretty, pretty interesting. Pretty cool, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When did you start getting interested in more of a formal music education or uh, playing in bands or singing in groups? It came from a suggestion from my ex-husband <laughs> um, you know like I said I, I just sing along with everything I sing everywhere sing everything and one day he said you know you really have a nice voice you should do something with it you should go go talk to your cousin mm -hmm. so uh, my cousin is uh, Larry Batiste and he is involved in the, the Grammys and blues in the school and a lot of you know really big heavy hitting type oh, yeah. of music things you know so I was like, oh, okay. Now, of course, you know, it's my cousin. Mm -hmm. So I was like, hey, Larry, uh, <laughs> homeboy said I could sing. <laughs> He's like, really? And, I, you know, we see each other at family functions and stuff, yeah. but I'm not usually singing at the family functions. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, eating and laughing or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. he never knew that I could sing either. He's like, really? I said, yeah. So I pulled up a Denise Williams song. Oh, I can't even remember what it was now. And uh, I, I started singing along to it, and he was just like, his jaw was dropping. He's like, what in the world? I didn't, how did, what? you know, he was kind of like speechless. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. oh, so it, you like that? Still wasn't really sure if anybody liked it. I didn't really care if anybody liked it. Yeah. I liked it, and I liked to do it. So, you know, it didn't really occur to me that, Wow, there's some people out there that that like your voice. They want to hear some more, uh -huh. and and that's what I got from him. He's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, is there a band out there? At the time, I was working at Granny Goose Foods and Potato Chip People. Okay, yeah. Yep. And there was a guy in there um, that had a band. His name was John Barnhill. 
And his band was called Yakety Yak. Mm-hmm. And they did old-time rock and roll stuff. So now this is back in 1982. Uh, and they were still doing old-time rock and roll. It was a theme band. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I go up to him and I'm like, hey, John, uh, somebody told me that I, I that I could sing. I should probably, like, try to, you know, sing in a band. I was like, I know you have a band. Can I come in and uh, audition for you? He's like, sure. Yeah. You know, so he one of the rehearsals they got together, you know, he let the guys know. My coworker's going to come over and, and uh, uh, audition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, all the guys in the band, they're like, well, psh, can she sing? He's like, I don't really know. I don't know. I've never heard her. <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, right? So I get there, and, you know, they're playing some old-time rock and roll or whatever, and I start singing, and, and all the guys in the band, same reaction as my cousin. <laughs> Jaws are <laughs> dropping. Music stops playing. They're like, we have to keep her. Can we keep her? <laughs> I was like, wow, you guys like it too? So as I'm growing with this, you know, I, I'm not realizing that I'm growing with it, but mm-hmm. more and more people are hearing it and more and more people are requesting it. And and the ball just keeps rolling and rolling. And the ball is still rolling today. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still too many millions of people out there that haven't heard Tia Carroll. <laughs> and it is my mission. <laughs> it is my mission to get my voice out there because I I feel like I know that music is uh, it's first of all it's universal. It's very it can be very healing. It could be very inspiring. It can be inspiring in a good way, as we've seen in the news. You know, it can be inspiring in a bad way as well. But that's uh, you know individual choices. Uh, my mission is just to get some my voice out there seems to be soothing to people. I hear like when I'm answering phones at, at work, people are like, "Oh, whoa, your voice is so soothing." Mm-hmm. You know, and they and they want to talk to me. Mm-hmm. I don't really have time to talk to them, <laughs> but you know, I listen yeah. and I talk and I listen and I talk and it just seems that you know, my voice is is needed. I feel like my voice is needed. And to be able to put it to some melody and and sing and and you know and, and make more of it more out of it than just talking it's awesome mm-hmm. i just because i have always loved to sing i still love to sing now what was that question again <laughs> <laughs> well i was just talking about your early music experience so you were in well, the, there it is. <laughs> the yakety yak band yes. was your first band and so i i assume you performed with them for a yes while? yes yeah. for about Gosh, about four or five years, um, I, and, and then I got pregnant with my first with my first child, my daughter, and uh, I was still singing, still singing, and I was like at about eight months pregnant. I'm still singing, still singing, <laughs> and pretty soon my, my buddy John Barneal, he's like, you know what? Uh, <laughs> we just can't have you having a baby on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what's I was wrong like, with that? It was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> so I sat down, took care of the baby, and about a year later, I was back at it again. Now, you talked about your voice and how you enjoy your voice and you enjoy singing. You also did a stint as a DJ on a, a radio station. Yes. Talk, talk about that. When did yes. you get interested in doing that? Once again, someone came to me and asked me if I was interested in doing a a, a radio spot. Mm-hmm. Um, Big Bob was his name. He's passed away a couple of years ago now. 
And I, I'm trying to think how I met him. I think I may have met him at some kind of a charity event where I was singing, okay. probably with Yakety Yak. Yeah. And uh, um, he asked me if I was interested, and I was like, yeah. Of course, it was no pay. It was like uh, maybe three hours a week, you know. And I didn't care mm -hmm. because it was something new. And now yeah. this is something that's like, wow, I could, I could be a <laughs> DJ on the radio station? Yes. <laughs> so, and it was a rock station. They, they played all rock music, which is something that I was just getting into as far as singing. Okay. Um, I was... At that time, I had just kind of pretty much finished with Yakety Yak and started my own my own band, which we were doing rock music. I mean, like Guns N' Roses and oh, wow. <laughs> um, Everclear and uh, the Eagles and just, you know, I, mm. I was heavy into rock. So that was perfect. For some reason, the universe, you know, mm. put me in that spot. And I did that probably for about, probably about three years on that too. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, I was the mistress of the morning. My show was from, I think it was from six to nine, and uh, it was, you know, it was kind of, kind of like a, an, I guess you would call it an old school podcast. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> I go in and do my recordings and stuff, and and it would play throughout the week, you know, and mm -hmm. come back and do it again, and that was that was really cool. I really enjoyed that. I, I really, really enjoyed being on the radio. I've been thinking over the last six months of how I can get back into it. And it's, you know, it, it's very possible. It's just trying to find the right avenue to be able to do it. I mean, there's lots of community radio stations out there, and they'll be happy to have a volunteer come in and do a little segment or something. Oh, yeah. So that might be something I, I can uh, squeeze into my busy schedule. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's always the podcast uh, medium, too. I know we interviewed Greg Ken a while ago, uh -huh. and he, he had done a long uh, radio show for a long time, yeah. and eventually he was kind of forced out, and it was really seemed more about money than anything uh, else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was getting, you know, they just said, well, you cost too much. We know you're a great talent, but too bad for you. And so he kind of converted his over to a podcast. Yeah. Well, something to consider. There's a Plenty of there's, podcasts, but <laughs> this is true. Yeah, there's a lot of competition out there for podcasts. But you know what? Even if there's a million or a billion podcasts out there, if I went ahead and did a podcast, at least I know mine is out there too. Oh yeah, and I you don't know? really think of it as competition. I mean, you're you're always going to find people that are going to gravitate towards what you're doing, right? Right. And uh, you know, it, it, and maybe that could even lead to uh, you know regular radio mm -hmm. as well. It's definitely a different world for the radio DJs out there. I have a friend up in Anacortes, and he had to bail out on one, <laughs> yeah. one radio station, but he found another one, and right. he's happy. Yeah. yeah, change of format and whatnot, but it's all good. <laughs> my mind's my mind's clicking right now. I've got some <laughs> ideas going on. Thank you. Let's talk about your current band. How did you put together uh, Tia Carol Live? Oh, let's see. In the years of Tia Carroll and the Untouchables and No Left Turn and uh, Tia Carroll's band and uh, Tia Carroll and Hard Work, <laughs> in, the, in the years of all of those different bands, some of those players continue to play with me. So over, I'd say, 10 to 12 years, uh, my drummer's been playing with me for at least 10 years. So he's been in every one of those band names. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, the guitar player, same thing. He's he's been there for at least that long too. He left for a while, came back. Uh, bass player, 
uh, I had a bass player for probably about four, four or five years, and then he moved out of the out of the area. So I have a, another bass player that's that's pretty committed to the to the uh, to the team. Uh, nowadays, I would love to say that I have enough work to hold a group of musicians that don't have a day job together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is pretty much the only way you can hold a, oh, yeah. a core group together. One, they have to have n- not have to have a day job because that's always going to get in your way when mm-hmm. you're trying to do. You know, when you're trying to really push and do shows. And two, just having them be committed enough to want to, you know, have enough work to be able to sustain themselves mm-hmm. with one person. Yeah. Uh, I don't have enough work to sustain myself. So I sing with different bands. Mm-hmm. My band members play with different bands. And it could be a little bit tragic, <laughs> I'm going to say, <laughs> you know, yeah. because... Oh, I have a show coming up, and my guitar player that knows all of my stuff mm-hmm. is not going to be able to make it. So I'm going to go find my substitute guitar player who only knows like maybe a third of my stuff, mm-hmm. and then the rest of it we will, you know, do a universal type of music that everyone should know. <laughs> you know, yep. the four bar blues, the eight bar blues, and things mm-hmm. that I can even make up some words to. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and a bunch of solos, and you know, so. It will change the vibe of your show sometimes with how that has to be. I totally admire uh, the Rolling Stones. I know that they are not like, they don't love each other. <laughs> but, you know, I, I admire that they had enough of the, the right ingredients to be able to stay together so long and mm-hmm. be able to continue to make music. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I, would love that. I would love to be able to do that. That, that would be... Like one of my number one goals to be able to hold my core band together. You know, all I can do with as far as that goes is just try to keep booking shows, getting more gigs. Yeah. Yes. Now your business model is a little bit interesting. You have um, on your website. You can actually, if I was to go there and, and request you uh, for, a, for a performance, you have like your core band of four mm-hmm. four piece, and then you also have an expanded band. Can you yes. talk about that? Uh, expanded band is. <laughs> hired guns, you sure. know, people that have worked with me over the years, yeah, yeah. but, you know, I, I know enough horn players to bring in a horn section. I know enough guitar players to bring in two guitars if I need. Mm-hmm. Um, there's enough keyboard players to go around, you know, so I can, if that's what your event requires is a, a, a large band, mm-hmm. then I'll put together a large band and we do our thing that way. If your event only requires me and a guitar player, <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you even have the acoustic option, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yes. What are your favorite types of gigs to do? Outdoor festivals and supper clubs. Uh-huh. What's an example of a supper club that you've done recently? Biscuits and Blues. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Love that place. Yeah, fun, fun. It it gives you that that kind of cotton club feel. So let's jump back a little bit. I didn't know a lot about uh, your earlier work in all of those different bands. Now, what kind of bands were those? No Left Turn was a, a rock-oriented band. Okay. Uh, the guitar player at that time, was uh, his name was George Von Geis, and he would do like um, Def Leppard type of tribute. He was okay. like a serious shredder yeah, yeah. guitar player. <laughs> and a serious shredder guitar player... The drummer uh, I had with that band uh, was from Argentina, Jorge Aicobales. 
So we had kind of a a hard hidden, and he used to play in White Snake or Testament, one of those two. Okay. Another hard, you know, yeah. heavy metal. Uh, our bass player, very heavy metal. So the music was heavy metal. No matter what I do, it's going to sound like, even though I think I'm singing rock, yeah, yeah. it sounds like soul. <laughs> you know, if I think I'm singing blues, if I think I'm singing jazz, if I think I'm singing tr- country, you might get that little nuance, but it pretty much sounds like soul. Mm-hmm. I, my voice is uh, is soul. When I started doing blues, it more came of, about of just kind of time in between the rock and the R&B and kind of trying to fit myself into the molds that are out there for those particular genres. Um, I, I always considered if, if I'm going to be a rock singer, you know, you, you've got to fit the mold that's, that's out there. So, you know, for me, I'm 5'8". I, I shouldn't be more than 130 pounds. <laughs> you know, and that worked for a while, but, you know, life goes on, <laughs> as do the pounds. <laughs> so once I got out of the rock clothes, <laughs> I started fitting into more of the R&B clothes, you know, and that worked for a while, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, another child comes along, and now the R&B clothes don't fit anymore. <laughs> so, oh, boy. I tell you, the first time that I really, really got into blues. I, I used to sing with a, uh, as background for another blues singer, E.C. Scott. And uh, I did backgrounds with her for probably about four years. This is kind of in between some of that other stuff, too. And at the time, I was still kind of feeling myself as an R&B singer. And, uh, you know, I'm listening to her doing these blues tunes, although she didn't stick to strictly blues either. Mm-hmm. She did a lot of different things, too. And I started kind of gravitating towards it. And then I was on Craigslist looking around mm-hmm. for bands. Okay, yeah. what, another Craigslist <laughs> horror story? <laughs> <laughs> well. And I came across an ad that said, <laughs> Rehearsal slash audition, Dave Matthews Blues Band. Mm. So I was like, Dave Matthews has a blues band? <laughs> Really? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's probably that's probably a bunch of BS, but I don't know, I'll go check it out. I'll go check it out. <laughs> well, it wasn't that Dave Matthews. It was another Dave Matthews, a harmonica player. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I even stuck with that for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I played with the Dave Matthews Blues <laughs> Band for like four years or so. Uh, that's funny. And... Uh, and, and those, some of those players, you know, were kind of like, you know, we want to take this in a little bit of a, a different direction. One of the guys gave me, his name was Pierre. He gave me a recording of Coco Taylor. And it was, what was she doing? She might have been doing either Hound Dog or Big Boss Man. When I heard her deliver mm-hmm. that song, I was like, Oh, oh, that sounds done. That's yeah, exactly <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I have just been hooked ever since. Uh-huh. I mean, I still have my love for other genres. I yeah. still do other types of songs, but that's where it clicked, and that's where I fit. Uh-huh. You know that you know that's how I ended up doing blues and old time rock and roll, <laughs> and before that, TV. <laughs> TV theme songs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, all the way up until now where I'm, I'm doing my own originals and, uh-huh. you know, I have my own, I have my own style. I, I think throughout the whole thing, I've always had my own style, mm-hmm. even though 
I thought I was singing like Alanis Morissette. <laughs> and I thought I was singing like James Brown. <laughs> I thought I was singing like Aretha Franklin. I thought I was singing like Tina Turner, who does happen to be my idol. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> Not at all, right? <laughs> so in my head, that's what I'm hearing, that I sound just like that. But when I hear the recordings back, I don't sound horrible, but I don't sound like Aretha. <laughs> I don't sound like Tina. I actually sound like Tia Carroll. Mm -hmm. I actually have my own sound and my own style, even though I didn't really realize it. Mm -hmm. It's always been there. Yeah, well, it grabs people's attention. When we were at the Art and Soul Festival a few years ago when we first heard you, my wife and I, yeah, I was drawn immediately to your voice, going, wow, that's powerful. That's, <laughs> that's where it is right there. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I tell everybody I know of your voice and talking about Tina Turner, your idol, and you know other musicians that I'm sure you're uh, impressed with. You've won a bunch of awards. West Coast Blues Hall of Fame, Female Blues Vocalist of the Year, R&B Vocalist of the Year. Now these were 2007, 2011. What, what does it feel like to be recognized from somebody that grew up just singing to radio songs to actually being recognized as not just by your family that says, oh, you got a great voice. But, you know, by <laughs> these your are peers. Yeah, yes. yeah. These are people who don't know you, yeah. <laughs> could, care, could really yeah, yeah, yeah. care less, <laughs> but their ears are unbiased. And that is, uh, it's an amazing feeling mm -hmm. that, you know, that, I, of, of course, I just love to sing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've said that, and I've said that, and I've said that. But for someone to to take that and, and go, not only do you love to sing, but I mean, you are really, mm -hmm. you're really fantastic. And we want, we want you to know that you're fantastic. We want you to be exposed to other people and let them hear you and, and, and put in their, their feedback on what mm -hmm. they feel about you. And it all culminates into an award. And it's kind of like, wow, I, you know, I, it, it's, 
it's humbling every time. I, I was nominated for Female Blues Vocalist of the Year from the Northern California Entertainment Awards uh, Committee, I guess it is, uh, just a couple weekends ago. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a, a pool of talent there, you know, for them to choose from. And to be just one of the nominees is like, you know, <laughs> all these other people. I mean, I sat in the audience and I heard some performances from some people that I've heard of, mm -hmm. but I hadn't heard live. And it just blew me away. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was just, I was inspired. I was impressed. Uh, some of the younger generation that mm -hmm. are actually singing notes yeah, and yeah. holding notes and and yes giving some riffs and some some runs but not but that's not the whole song they're putting their heart and their soul and their feelings in into lyrics surrounded by music and pushing it out into people's ears yeah. and it's lovely yeah <laughs> it's lovely that's really nice to see yeah so to be nominated amongst some of these youngsters who can, you know, who could take over the airwaves at any given time, I, I kind of feel like, um, uh, I don't know, like we're in a some kind of tribe or something, and I'm one of the elders, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they're looking at me too. They've seen uh -huh. my stuff and they've heard me, and they're like, "Wow, you know, we're nominated in the same category with with her," <laughs> you know. So yeah. there's admiration going around everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It feels wonderful to be to be recognized like that. Well, that's great. And you've also taken your music around the world as well. You've yes. had tours to Brazil, Switzerland, yes. Estonia, I believe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about some of the highlights from uh, your uh, international uh, gigs. I'll start off with the very first time I left the country. I went to Thailand with a, a group with uh, the Bay Area Blues Society. It was run by Ronnie Stewart. And I was with his group and the other group that went with um, was Sakia Hooker and her band. And we were scheduled to go to Thailand for a, um, a world music festival. This was back in 2005. Uh, I had just got a, a passport. They did all the work so that, mm -hmm. you know, we can get our passports and our our work visas and everything. It was, it was really exciting. And it was uh, around Christmas of 2005. Well, around Christmas of 2005 was the the day that the tsunami hit in uh, mm. Thailand. Oh, wow. Uh, we were scheduled to fly out the, the day after the tsunami hit. Mm -hmm. Now, in that group, there probably was about 15 of us in the group. And I think maybe there might have been one or two of the group that decided, no, they're not going. Because they were just, you know, a little, you know, shell-shocked. I, yeah. I don't blame them. They were a little uh, frightened to be able to, to think that they were going to go to Thailand and, and all this disaster was going on. But for the most part, the rest of us were like, well, you know, we, we've, we've got our passports, we've got our tickets, we have a mission, mm -hmm. let's go. So uh, we went to, our, our final spot was a place called Koh Samui Island on the west coast of the Thailand Peninsula. And basically everything that was really damaged and, and torn up was on the east side. So where we went was there was it was paradise. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. The most that we saw that was uh, tragic were some people coming from the east, you know, and and just trying to get away from that mm -hmm. and coming to Koh Samui for some some relief and relaxation. 
And for that to be the very first time of leaving the country is kind of like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and my husband was like, uh, are you sure you should be? And I was like, you know, if, if, it was, if it's not meant to be, the plane won't leave. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the plane left, it landed. <laughs> the next plane left, it landed. We made it all the way there. Our, all of our music, all of our shows, all of the proceeds for all of that went to uh, to a fund to help um, the tsunami victims. Mm-hmm. So it turned out, of course, to be a, a good you know a good thing. Um, but it was it was uh, that was pretty it was pretty crazy yeah. you know to get over there and I think it took us about a full twenty five hours to get there with stops and and. You know, not what, not knowing what was going on, and whether or not the plane was going to have to circle a couple times, or you know what was going on. But we made it there and back in one piece. You know, I mean that was super culture shock, <laughs> leaving the U.S., mm-hmm. going to Thailand after a tsunami. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? But it worked out okay. And I think the other uh, going to Estonia was uh, <laughs> that was that was unusual. I, I don't know. Back in the old days, you know, we used to have MySpace. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> okay. <I> recall. <laughs> so I had my MySpace, and I was busy on my MySpace, and I got a message from somebody that said, "Hey, um, we saw some of your videos and heard some of your music. Would you be interested in coming to Estonia to play at one of our clubs here?" This is all email, you know, yeah, message, yeah. instant message. I'm like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote them back, yes, of course, I'd love to, you know, send me the details. And they're like, okay, we'll get back to you in a couple days. So that conversation is over. Now it's time for me to start searching Estonia. What is that? What is I don't even know time? where it is. Yeah, Who? Yeah. I've never heard of this place <laughs> before. So it's a tiny little country that's right next to, I think, Latvia and uh, Russia. And... I, I didn't know these people. Mm. I don't, of course, I don't know anybody in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm kind of fearless in that way. It's kind of like, you know, uh-huh. why would somebody pay for some plane tickets, fly me all the way to Estonia to yeah. kidnap me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can kidnap me in my backyard. <laughs> why would you go through all of that? That's a lot so, of hassle. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm thinking there's no harm that's going to come from this, you know. So, you know, I got the tickets and... But that's all I got was the flight, the round trip tickets. Okay. So in in the course of this, and of course, my husband is like, uh, "Well, where are you staying?" I was like, uh, "I don't know." <laughs> He's like, "Oh my god, you just are crazy." <laughs> Jeez, make sure you call me. Keep me. Keep your phone on. Blah blah blah. I was like, "Okay, okay." So I had no idea who was going to pick me up at the airport. <laughs> I had no idea if I was going to be staying with somebody's mama <laughs> or what. You know. <laughs> But yeah, I'm a fearless fly. I'm going, you know, and I'm standing there now in Estonia. There are probably, it's not that big a country. I don't know how many people are there, but I'm pretty sure there's only about two or three black people. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Okay. Okay, So I was not hard to spot at the airport. (laughs) Now on the other end, I don't know who I was looking for. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, and they were a little late. So I'm just kind of like, oh, okay. Well, here I am in Estonia. Hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I can't read anything because it's some, some crazy language. <laughs> I just, can't read I'll the just, clock. Yeah. I don't know if I'm late or early. <laughs> I'll just stand here. And finally, the the girl came and met me, and she's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I was late." And she speaks, you know, speaks hmm. English and everything. I'm so sorry I was late. And 
you know, there's a big protest going on outside. I'm like, protest? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, you know, she we leave the airport, and sure enough, we're trying to drive through Old Town, which uh, Old Town is um, like this historic area. Mm-hmm. You have to have a permit to be even able mm. to drive through there. Mm. And there's protesters, and they're in costumes, and they're on stilts, and they have signs, and they're hoo-ha in it. All this is going on, and she's trying to drive around, and she's like, don't worry. It's not like this all the time. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> not that I would know any different. Yeah, but, right, you know. right. You know. <laughs> and this was, this was the year that uh, Obama was being elected for the first year, first okay. time. I had do my uh, ballot by mail because mm-hmm. I never want to miss it. <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure my vote's in there. So uh, I'm around here at this, at this time of year when uh, they're coming down to the last elections in November. And uh, in Estonia, people are having uh, election parties. The night of the, you know, the, mm. the last, you know, who's going to be president. They're having election parties. They're, you know, they're excited. They're engaged. They want to know who's going to be running the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it just, it really surprised me because I, I hadn't been out of the country that much and hadn't really thought, politically what could be going on but mm-hmm. people were people are engaged they want to know who's going to be running the united states because they have some stake mm-hmm. okay so the next day after a, after it you know it was clear that Pre- president obama was elected i'm i'm out walking around which is what i usually do when i'm in a foreign country <laughs> mm-hmm. i get out of my hotel and i start walking around i start you know checking out the neighborhoods, checking out the stores, checking out the restaurants. And so I'm walking around and store owners are kind of like outside and they're, you know, standing around looking at the air. And They seem to have like this, I don't know, calm thing. I don't know if that's what they, what they are all the time or mm-hmm. if it was just this particular day. But as I'm walking down the street, some of the store owners, and you know, they look at me and they're, they're like, oh, Obama, you know, and they're like, they're happy and they're raising yeah. their fists like Obama. And I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah. And I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm thinking to myself, do they think I'm Michelle? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. So that, that was pretty, uh, that was very, very memorable. You know, the, how the rest of the world views the United States. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's really, really, really important. That we uh, keep up a good front. It's going to be interesting with the upcoming election on what yes, people are is. thinking about. <laughs> yeah, it makes me, it makes my stomach turn. I'm nervous. I know it's a very. Uh, yeah, I, I, I knew if I wrote myself in, uh-huh. I probably would get in trouble. <laughs> so you know, but that was that was my thought. Oh, I'll just write myself in. I'll put it on Facebook and see if I can get my five thousand friends to vote for me. I might get one delegate. <laughs> How did it work musically in Estonia? So is it just you that flew over? Did your band come with you? Or? It was just me that flew yeah. over. And the guy, his name is Auri. He had uh, these, young, these young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of exceptional talent in mm-hmm. Estonia mm-hmm. as far as music goes. Other things, too. I, yeah. I, soccer players and tennis players. and I'm, I'm just like, wow. But he had a uh, a group of kids already set up for me, uh, guitar player, saxophone, keyboard, and a drummer. Uh, none of them were over twenty. <laughs> I don't even know 
well, it's Estonia, so they mm-hmm. can play in the clubs. It was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, I think, was 18. One of them was 19. And two of them were 20. And I still, you know, my set list was blues. Yeah. And that's what they wanted in that club in Estonia was blues. Mm-hmm. So I did a two-week stint in the, in the club there of, uh, of just blues. And the kids learned the material before I got there. We had one rehearsal, and we hit it. The same thing in Brazil. Uh, I, I met the guys from Brazil, Igor Prado and his brothers. I met them in Switzerland, which is one of the okay. times I got to take my band with me. Oh, okay. I am always so okay. proud and ecstatic and happy when, um, when I'm approached to bring my band with mm-hmm. me. It's like, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because the guys work hard, you not know, sure. they work hard for me. I, I, I'm not going to say I'm not the easiest person to get along with, because I really am very easy to get along with. Mm-hmm. But I do have a tendency to, like, throw a song at them a couple days before. I'm like, this is an easy song. You guys, <laughs> you know. And they're like, oh, my God, this thing has, like, 17 changes in it. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, vocally, it's like, only, there's only, like, three or four parts. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I know they work hard because they'll put in the work and they'll get that song for me and, you know, we'll do our thing. And so I, and they, they work so hard for me and it's so good to be able to take them, yeah. you know, with me to, to places. So we got to go to Lucerne, Switzerland, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. And that's where I met Igor Prado and his brothers. And about a month later, he was emailing me, asking me if I was interested to come over and play with his band. And that's been an ongoing thing now for the last five years. Oh, wow. That's yes, exciting, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think. I got to take my band to Mexico one time, and we went to Italy. Oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah, did yeah. a tour awesome. in Italy. Yeah. Nice. So I, I'm hoping, you know, that in, in the future I'll, I'll be able to get some, some more shows like that where I'm able to uh, to take the whole band with me. It's uh, because it's it's a joy for them, you know, th- that all their hard work is paying off as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a blast. So jumping back to Brazil, that's where you recorded one of your most recent albums. Yes, right? yes. And, you know, gosh, the Brazilians are, there's so much love in that country. So, okay, in the five years that I've I've gone over there, you know, we, we play shows, we play shows, we play shows. Some of the places will record the shows. And then I did some recording for them, uh, you know, some stuff that they wanted to do, and then some stuff that some other guy had some music for, and he wanted me to do that. And, you know, and those things just happened. And then when I went over there, like, about two years ago, it's been two years already, uh, when I showed up there, they had a completely packaged CD for me that had, like, five songs, I think, from a live show that we did there. Mm And then the rest of them were recordings from recordings that I did for them there. So I, I had I showed up and there was a CD for me. Wow, that's and I was like, cool. oh my god, you guys, <laughs> it's so expensive to try to get your your band into a studio. And I mean, I've got originals in my head, I've got originals mm-hmm. on my phone, but I can't play anything, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't want my band to play for free. Yeah. You know, I want I want them to be either invested in the in the project or at least paid for the project. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the studio time. Well, no one's going to do studio for free, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to you know I've got to invest in that too. There's there's ways around it, 
I haven't found out all the ways around it <laughs> to come up with a complete, you know, like mm -hmm. one complete song. Uh, so I'm kind of a, a little bit stagnant on my next on my next project. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not quite sure where it's going to come from or how it's going to come. It may be it may be a, a point to where I'm just recording every single thing I do live, mm -hmm. and then try to get some of the best stuff that I can from that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I might sit down with my guitar player and maybe do a couple of acoustic songs. Um, I might sit down with my guitar player and do a whole acoustic album. That would probably be the least expensive out of everything. Oh yeah, you know, and it wouldn't, you know, th that would be okay. I, I do, I do an acoustic show where you know it's a, a seven to ten, you know, and it's mm -hmm. just me and a guitar player or just me and a piano player. So that might be another you know, another way of getting some more music out there to the people. Here's a question we like to ask everybody on the program, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but what does music mean to you in your heart? What do you, what does it mean to you? Uh, life, love, sorrow, happiness, pain, just about every emotion you can think of, anger, ecstasy. It's just, there's... Just about anything you feel, you can put it out there in music. Mm -hmm. And you're not the only one that's feeling that way. So when, when you are expressing some of those feelings, there's going to be, if, if you're expressing them to the world, there's got to be at least one million people that mm -hmm. feel the same way you do. Mm -hmm. you know? And that's one million people who will feel better because now that one, million, one of those one million knows that they're not the only one that there's at least one other person. And if they're thinking like me, they're probably thinking, oh, there's got to be at least another million out there that feel like this. I'm not alone in this. Yeah. So it is an opportunity to, to put out there things that you may be going through when you think you're the only one. And, and it is a way to, to help those who, who know that they're not, you know, it help other people to find out that they're not the only one as well. I don't know, put a, a reason to what's going on or just make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, excellent. Get up every day Do the same thing Every time I look up Ain't a damn thing changed Work this nine to five, baby can't wait until tonight We can take our time, yeah Start this thing off right It's been a long time Since I had your love Had your love Had your love It's been a What makes a good song? Oh, I am not sure <laughs> because I don't I don't have a top ten hit yet. <laughs> what I like about a song is is something that's uh, something that I can sing along with. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything that I'm feeling at the time. Something that I can sing along with. Something that 
I don't have to try to follow a bunch of riffs to get to. I mean, I just want to sing the note. I don't want to try to to track your uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because I can't do that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't want to spend my time trying. I just want to sing along with the tune. So I guess, in my own opinion, it's a a good song would be something that has a, a catchphrase to it, something that is easy to sing along with. I mean, even even a song like. Who let the dogs out? You know, everybody was mm-hmm. singing that. That was so simple. It's mm-hmm. uh, keep it simple. Yeah, is is what makes a good song. But then when you, when I look at it in another way, sometimes stories are way more complex than keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. So a good song might be a, an entire story about something that happened. Uh, country music is a great example of storytelling where the chorus is there but you don't really hear so much of the chorus it's a very short like maybe three word chorus or or a refrain or something but the song for the most part it's a great song and it's telling this whole story this mm. whole thing that happened not everything has to rhyme you know it's mm. it's telling a story you know good music can be a catchy simple tune or it could be just a really good story. And then another question to follow up on that. What about what makes a great performance? Engaging with the audience, uh-huh. eyeballing the audience, mm-hmm. eye contact, actually speaking to someone in the audience, acknowledging people in the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I catch myself doing it every once in a while, but when, when you close your eyes, when, when you're in a performance and you close your eyes, that's okay in a moment. Mm-hmm. Because that, that's something that, that's an emotion that sometimes you can't even stop. But I would like to, I would like to tell other performers that I, I've seen them do this. Mm-hmm. They close their eyes during the whole time. <laughs> and they may have the most gorgeous, perfect pitch, great voice, but you're not there by yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're there. People have, have come to see you, you know, and they want to know that you see them too. Because they, they, they're lending you their support. Yeah. I mean, yes, they come to see you because they love your music. But that's a, that's a, a version of support. You know, uh-huh. They're lending you their support. They want to come see you. And for me, I want them to know that I appreciate you coming to see me. Uh-huh. I am singing to you. Uh-huh. I'm singing to you. I'm singing to you. I'm singing. It's like a 360-degree performance for me. I'm singing to the drummer. I, I'm singing to everybody here because that's to me. That's what makes a great performance. It's just mm-hmm. you're giving. You're giving to the audience. When I finish a, at a show, I'm pretty much spent. <laughs> uh, you know, I've I'm drenched in sweat. Um, by the time I get home, I sometimes I'm I'm like I got to pull over on the side of the road because I'm so drained mm-hmm. and just tired. You know, and I'll take maybe a couple minutes walk you know get out of the car and walk to the side or something just get some air so i can get home of course by the time i get home i'm all amped up (laughs) and i can't sleep Uh, it's a oh it's a vicious circle (laughs) you also do vocal coaching or i guess vocal performance coaching as well so those are probably some of the things you talk about and yes uh, Anything else? Any other highlights? Well, you know, it's funny. The the vocal perf- the, like vocal workshops and things like that, those have been things that I've been invited to do at some festivals, and, and mostly so far uh, outside the United States. Um, I did one 
a few years back in Mississippi. Um, it was BB uh, uh, King Week or something at Mississippi Valley State. Um, and I did, you know, a vocal workshop there. But for the most part, I mean, I haven't taken any formal training. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I can, you know, give someone formal training. What I can give is is performance, life training, mm -hmm. you know, how, how I learned from my uh, head voice, from the falsetto, how to get out of that and get into the, the gut, you know, the gut singing. How to how to hold a note, how to listen to the instruments and be in tune with the instruments so that your voice is in tune with the song. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is just practical application, you know, mm -hmm. just from my mistakes. And I hear mm -hmm. a recording, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> well, how why would I hit that note? That's awful. Mm -hmm. You know, so and that's one of the best teachers of all is just record everything you do mm -hmm. and go back and listen to it. I do not understand, now sometimes it happens, but I do not understand how someone who is tone deaf mm -hmm. can sing a song, hear it back, and it's all out of tune, and they're still like, oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, so I don't understand that. I don't understand how that can happen. <laughs> but it does, does happen. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, that I'm thinking maybe that's some kind of, um, I don't want to say birth defect, but... <laughs> Something, you know, like maybe maybe something's off in their ear or something. Something that they can't really can't help, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> so I've, I was looking at your Facebook page, and I could see that, uh, like you said, you were just recently at an award show. You spent a lot of time traveling around to gigs. But you yes. also posted some pretty amazing uh, uh, recipes or uh, oh. <laughs> what, what do you like to cook? What, what kinds of uh, food? What are your favorite recipes? Just like in music, I don't have a favorite. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I will look at, I'll go through Facebook and see, you know, some recipes, or I'll just, like, type in Google um, ham and cheese breakfast ideas, mm -hmm. you know, and I'll look at pictures, and it's like, okay, what do I have in my refrigerator? I've got the ham and cheese. I don't have this. I do have this. Okay. And then I'll move the phone aside and go in my refrigerator and pull out all kinds of stuff and start creating myself, creating whatever I'm going to create. Yeah. I love all kinds of food. I, you know, I, I Thai, uh, Italian, uh, <laughs> Brazilian, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, every, every country that I go to, I, I like to make sure that I, I meet up with someone who lives there and go to their house and get real food. There you go. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have been treated to some awesome, awesome food. And when I come back from those countries, I try to make that too. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I try to figure out what kind of ingredients those were. I've got a, a, a recipe that uh, Igor's auntie gave me from Brazil mm -hmm. for a banana, uh, a banana tort or a cake, mm -hmm. uh, torte de banana. Mm -hmm delicious mm. but she wrote it in portuguese yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you best believe i figured out how to do it and it was delicious too here right here in america oh, nice. I, I, my son is 17 which pretty much means he's an eating machine mm. um, <laughs> he's a, a an athlete a student athlete and so he's an eating machine he's been an eating machine for at least the last six years <laughs> you know so you know whatever we're churning out it's it's got to be something that is going to be appealing to him too. Mm. Now he does have a 
kind of a, I would say a sophisticated palate, you know, because I, I'm cooking like um, uh, chicken tikka masala. Mm -hmm. He loves that with yeah. with birani rice and, or jasmine rice or, you know, I, I'm I'm doing some exotic things and and he's right in there on it, you know. So in order for me not to get bored, you mm -hmm. know, cooking the same things, yeah, yeah. I I try to come up with you know, some different versions of this or a different way to present this. Um, I, tonight, before I came here, I, I went and picked him up. And uh, when I got home, I was like, well, I got I to gotta put something together. So uh, my husband had barbecued, a, um, I don't know, a prime rib steak or something. Yeah. I chopped that up and made some to tostadas with the prime rib and stuff on it. Yeah. But my first thought was if I had time, mm -hmm. I was going I had some hamburger patties. I was going to fry up the hamburger patties mm -hmm. and make tostada burgers. Oh, nice. You know, so <laughs> it's just, you know, whatever I can come up with that's going to be appealing to him, mm -hmm. whether it's a sophisticated or something simple like, mm -hmm. you know, chili cheese dogs. Yeah, yeah. You know, but <laughs> I don't go out and buy chili cheese dogs. I make yeah. chili cheese dogs at home. Yeah, yeah. I've learned to make a lot of stuff at home. I make Darwiner schnitzel at home. Mm. I, I make uh, McDonald's McGriddles at home. Mm. Um, I make Jack in the Box uh, croissants, supreme croissants at home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's another thing with the eating machine. Mm. Well, we can't afford to go out every time and go buy these things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we buy them once or twice, figure out how to do it. <laughs> okay, I, I'm still working on the hot pocket. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that could be complex. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's next for Tia Carroll? What do you? Uh, I know you've got a lot of gigs coming up, but uh, what's next? Next phase of your life? What are you looking at? Oh, that's a good one, because I just keep going day by day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hoping things work out and and keeping it moving and the stuff that doesn't work out, move it aside, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and keep it moving. So uh, I, I guess a, a short-term goal is, as I was speaking about earlier, is uh, getting more music out there. Mm. With more music in my hand comes the opportunity to get more shows, uh, more of the kind of shows that I want to do, like the, the, the outdoor festivals, mm -hmm. indoor festivals, uh, uh, concert venues. I, I mean, I, I can't see myself, it would be awesome if I could, and, and who knows, maybe it would happen one day that I could fill the Paramount. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't see it happening by myself. However, with the new music, like I said, comes the opportunity to get more shows, which gives me the opportunity to expose myself to more fans, which gives me the opportunity to get more fans in more venues, mm -hmm. which, you know, I, and, it, and it just grows from there. It's like you, you got to know one plus one before you can know mm -hmm. what four plus six is. You know, you, you got to know this. You got to start off baby steps and work your way up. I, granted, I've been on baby steps for like, what, 30 years now? <laughs> <laughs> as long as I am able to sing, I can't say that it would hurt my feelings not to be like, you know, in the limelight. Because I, I just, I, I enjoy singing. And I know that people enjoy listening to it. So as long as I'm doing that, the other things really are gravy. Um, I like gravy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody like gravy. But, uh, you know, so as long as I'm, I'm able to continue to do what I'm doing, 
I mean, I've had a I've had a full-time job for the last 35 years. I just now am have a part-time job. Mm-hmm. Um trying to kind of make more room for for doing more music. Now, this time in my life, I probably be, probably should have did this when I was 30. <laughs> you know, but but I didn't, mm-hmm. you know. And as as uh, you know, the the universe takes care of us. It you does. Know? It really does. And and it's and that's how it's been working for me. So I just keep I I take care of the universe by doing the right thing, and and trying to help other people, and just you know just being a good trying to be a good person. You know, I, yeah, I can be mean sometimes. Everybody can, but you know, I, I try not to do things on purpose, being mean on purpose. And 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 I, I when people need need some help, if I can help them, I'm going to help them. You know, it might be little things like like taking something over to somebody's house or you know whatever it is i i i feel like i'm i'm trying to do my part and and stay you know engaged and and the universe continues to take care of me and keeps me engaged i you know shows drop out of out of nowhere into my lap mm-hmm. and it and it's like that's awesome yeah. yes yes i want to do that you know this right here is a blessing you know just just sitting here and speaking with you about about what's going on and what what I'm doing and what I've done and what I want might want to do is a blessing, because this is going to put some more millions of people that are going to hear, you know, what I have to say and and why I'm doing this. You know, mm-hmm. who am I? I am Tia Carroll. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a story. <laughs> <laughs> My husband and I have four kids. When we first got together, I had a two-year-old. He had a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Okay. And I was singing at the time, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, throughout the years, our, our older set of kids, uh, well, yeah, he had two. I had one. We had one together. <laughs> That's the last Mohican at the house, <laughs> eating up everything. <laughs> so throughout the years of, of singing, uh, I've done festivals and, you know, this, that, and the other. I'd always have the kids, you know, they'd, come on, you guys, let's go. Mm. And spread the blanket out in front of the stage so I can see them, mm. you know, so our kids were exposed to a lot, a lot of live music. Mm-hmm. And I think that has made them really worldly, uh, you know, maybe in a small sense when you think of the whole world, but, mm-hmm. you know, they got exposed to to live music. They got mm. exposed to the people who play live music. They got exposed to the the idiosyncrasies of the people who play live music, mm-hmm. you know, so they, I think they got a, a good understanding. They have a, they have a very broad uh, appreciation for music. They don't, they're not in just one genre that they want to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, they they can hear. Even my son, he he came up in a time where he didn't he didn't come to so many shows because he had his older brothers and sisters there babysitting, mm-hmm. and they they weren't going to the shows anymore. So it was kind of like free range for me and my husband. But even even my son, I hear him singing stuff like, oh, I don't know, DeBarge. And I'm like, how in the world? That song is like 100 years old. How yeah. do you even know that song? Yeah. Of course, video games have yeah. you know the, a lot of throwback stuff in there. But I hear him singing stuff like that, and I'm like, wow, one, he's got a good voice. Two, why is he singing that old song? <laughs> and and three, where did he even learn it from? I, you know, why is he even there singing? So it, it the music is, it's I guess it is kind of hereditary, 
even though I didn't hear my dad sing, apparently he did sing and he wrote some music and mm -hmm. he was around people who sang, called Lena Horn. Yeah, uh, yeah. With that one piece of music, I did a vocal workshop, a blues in the school workshop one time. It was over in San Francisco. It was, um, what was it? It was a middle school. And I brought the music with me. I had never heard it before because I don't play anything. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I never could get anybody to, for some reason, I could never get anybody to sit down at the piano and play this so I could hear what it sounded like. Mm -hmm. These kids, I, I put the music up on the, uh, what is it, the big projector screen or whatever. Or whatever yeah, the yeah. projector. And uh, they didn't have any instruments in the classroom. There was a, a piano in there. But they, you know, they're in a music class, so they know how to read music. Mm -hmm. They looked at it, and they all got together and looked at it and looked at it and figured it out, and they sang it to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I almost, I, I did cry. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and that was the first time I'd heard what my father's music sounded like. And yes, it was written in the 30s, and that's what it sounded like. <laughs> it had that really, really high pitch, like it was written in like a maybe a high C or a double mm -hmm. high C, something that Lena Horne would sing in. Mm. You know, she had that very light, high lilting voice and it sounded like something she that he may have written for her hmm. and to hear it you know hear it sang back it was like you know i can i can imagine the cotton club and you know mm -hmm. there's the garb that they used to wear back in the day and you know mm -hmm. the flap dresses or whatever in the roaring 20s or you know that might be a 10 year split there but <laughs> yeah, yeah. the the music sounded you know it sounded old and, and it was really it was that was quite an experience for me you know, to hear these young middle school kids, you know, 12, 13 years old that have the knowledge. I mean, the knowledge is out there. And if, if it's mm -hmm. something that everything isn't for everybody. So every one of those kids in there has a gift for music, you know, just like all the kids in the drafting class have, mm -hmm. have a gift for, you know, for building buildings or whatever. Sure, yeah. You know, everybody's got their talent. But it was just so awesome that all of those young kids got together and read that music and sang it to me. And, you know, they were like, oh, wow, that was pretty cool. You know, <laughs> my my teachings for that day was to have them write a song, yeah. you know, about whatever was going on. I, I taught them about how to get the lyrics together and and the parts of the song, the verses and the pre-chorus and the chorus and the, you know, and, and so they wrote a song and then they sang that song to me. It was a... It was a really rewarding day of blues in the school. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that and all of your yes. other stories. Where, now, where can people go to hear more about your music, your websites? TiaCarroll.com. Yeah. Yes. Go right to the website, TiaCarroll.com. You'll see all kinds of stuff on Facebook, which might even be a better place to go because you can always get to my website from my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. But Facebook is where you'll find more of my my daily activities, uh, mm -hmm. pictures of food, pictures of uh, family sometimes. Uh, sometimes I do my own little podcast in the car. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know why I started that, but I, I started turning my video on while I'm driving, heading to my, my part-time job, and just kind of like random thoughts going through my head. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> hey, Facebook, what's going on? You know, I'm stuck in traffic right now. <laughs> It's silly stuff, but you know, it, it it it's fun. I I enjoy doing it. You know, so I, Facebook Tia uh, Facebook slash Tia Carol. Um, you'll find lots of of fun things there, and, and then again, you can always get to my website from there. 
Well, thank you so much for being a part of the program. We really appreciate you coming out and hanging out and telling stories with us. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed myself. Thanks again to Tia Carroll. We're going to leave you with one more song, this one entitled The Bluesiest Woman, and you can find this on her Brazil Sessions CD. Night after night, town after town, soul and blues, baby, you know I wear the crown. I'm a blues woman, go ahead and check my bags, oh yeah, I can't keep no
people love me At least they said so And I know they won't forget me when I 